Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our members of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine our show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience of Smith Weekly, including Andrew C., Matt S., Paul M., and Mike P. We have a returning guest on the program today. Mr. Clive Johnson is back on the show. Clive is the president and CEO of B2 Gold Corp, a senior mid-tier gold producer and developer with operations in Mali, the Philippines, and Namibia. The company also has a pipeline of development projects in Colombia and Burkina Faso, aside from an exploration portfolio. B2 Gold is a portfolio holding a Smith Weekly Research. B2 Gold is listed on the New York Stock Exchange under the symbol BTG and also on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol BTO. Mr. Clive, welcome back to the show. How are you? Yeah, good. I understand. Good to be with you again. Well, Clive, it's been about a year and uh, 10 months or so since we last spoke on the podcast. Lots of things have changed in the gold sector. You know, the Great Plague, of course, supply chain strategy 101 challenges, plus so much more. But uh, let's kick it off here by getting the Clive view on the industry and the market conditions. Well, in our case, we're, um, we're enjoying another very good year in uh, B2 Gold of uh, gold production. We just came with our third quarter uh, production, and we'll announce next week our financial results for the, for the quarter. So we're having another very good year. In terms of the overall sector, you know, it's a, it's a markets are, are, uh, can be strange beasts sometimes. And uh, when you look at where we were a year ago, a little over a year ago, the B2 Gold actually touched uh, $10 Canadian share, making us valued at $10 billion company. Um, and then the gold prices had you know, touched uh, 2,000 uh, an ounce, and then gold came off to some extent, and all the gold stocks got hit pretty hard. Um, I think much harder than they should have, really. The way that the gold equities acted, you'd think gold had gone down to 1,500 or something like that, and it hadn't, of course. It had only really dropped uh, into the 1,700s, and now we're back almost, to, or at 1,800 again. Um, so the typical reaction in the market sometimes, when, you, when gold becomes out of favor, the gold equities get hit harder. In our case, we got hit a little harder than most um, because we have had an issue in Mali where our biggest mine is, but it's got nothing to do with the mine, the Fukola mine. The issue was about an expiration permit that we feel we have a legal right to get an extension of, and there have been in discussions with the government about resolving that issue, which I think is um, is going well. Um, but when political risk uh, raises its head and, and people sometimes panic a little bit and they uh, they tend to sort of oversell something. So it's not, a, it's not as if we've got a lot of people selling our stock, especially our big shareholders. It's more because there's been a bit of a buyer's strike in the gold equities overall. And in our case, because some people took the view of let's see if they, you know, let, let's wait and see what B2 Gold does. So we came up with a very good quarter production and we'll have our financials out, as I said, next week. Um, we always said the second half of the year was going to be much stronger for us from a cash flow perspective because of just the, the way mining works when you have more pre-stripping in the first half and some other things, which meant the production uh, was weighted to the second half of the year. And we've proven that, I think, we'll, we'll, with the third quarter production and, and hopefully the, I think next week's financial results also show that, that we're uh, having a very good year. We're on track for our guidance of right around a million ounces. That's good. And, and look at it from a big picture view of at least on an annual basis. And I think that's important rather than getting, you know, splitting hairs on the quarter by quarter results. And then certainly the political risk is interesting here. I mean, we've seen 
recent events out of Sudan as well, which is disappointing for a lot of parties involved there. But how about recent news on Kirkland Lake and Agnico Eagle merger? Uh, thoughts on this transaction? And do you think with the cash flows remaining strong, balance sheets are starting to shore up? Do you expect to see more in M&A across the production, development, and junior sector? Yeah, I think we will for sure. I think that for some years, this sector has needed um, fewer better-run companies. And fortunately, if you look at the last five years, I would say the industry has responded well, which it needed to do in terms of becoming more responsible, becoming more profitable, and better run many companies. You know, we went through a phase for many years of growth at any cost, uh, including the big guys, and that was very damaging for the credibility of the, the gold space. So now you see companies, we're, we're obviously one of the leaders in terms of profitability, paying a big dividend, yet continuing to grow the company. I think you're going to see more M&A, but, you know, it's, it's more competitive now than it was some years ago when we were doing it, when it was a very contrarian thing to do when we went to Namibia and did a deal to, uh, to acquire the Ochocolo mine and then subsequently went to Mali and acquired the Ochocolo mine by taking over Papillon Resources. Those deals were very controversial only in the sense that M&A wasn't happening then because the industry overall, not us, but the industry had done such a bad job of acquisitions and construction and other things that the, the shareholders were saying, I'm not going to buy you if you're building a gold mine because I don't trust any of you. <laughs> so uh, fortunately, the industry's improved for that. It worked out very well for us, but M&A now, we're looking for sure. We've got some good projects in the pipeline that we already have and some great exploration uh, upside we're seeing, but we're clearly looking. Uh, but for us, it'll probably have to be some kind of a special opportunity because we're not going to likely to, to win some bidding war in Nevada because there's other companies that didn't grow when we did that need to grow now. So I think acquisitions aren't going to get cheaper. I'm glad to see that we're away from the big cube premiums, which you know we're, we're, we're not a positive from the investor perspective at the end of the day. The big premiums paid for acquisitions of sometimes marginal projects. So it'll be interesting to watch. It's good for the sector overall. And I'm pleased to see that many gold mining companies are a lot better run than they were you know, five or 10 years ago. We see some of these uh, various transactions, some of them at the market, you know, hats off to anybody who can get a at the market uh, zero premium merger. And then we see things like Caliber and Fiora getting together uh, just as of, uh, I think, yesterday or so, you know, good to see some of these things happening. And then also, too, I think compared to valuations, maybe 2016, 2017 timeframe, Clive, and then seeing some of this trough happen here where the juniors just got unloved, mid-tiers come down, and we've seen some uh, some values starting to pop up that are looking a little bit better now as compared to a couple of years ago. It's going to be interesting to see what happens next on this front. And I know you can't tell us too much here because you guys have got financials coming up shortly, but uh, can you just give us a, a, an operation site-by-side overview at B2 Gold here as things stand now, perhaps what you see coming up on upcoming objectives and targets for 2022? We're on track, as we said uh, in the news release recently for our guidance, and we're on track to produce you know, right around a million ounces for this year, and our all on sustaining costs, um, we're right on track there to be in that 870 to 9 hundred dollars we're right in going to be we think we'll be right in that range which is pretty impressive because you are seeing some inflationary pressures in terms of fuel and other things so we had a production beat at the uh, cola and also at the Masvati mine in the philippines so that that more additional production um you know we think we'll end up the year somewhere around forty thousand ounces above uh 30 40, ounces above where we had projected so that helps um in terms of the cost um but we, we've, we've done well in keeping costs in line and we'll be within we expect to be within our, our projections for the year and that's going to be interesting to see as we get into next year. There's going to be some cost pressure for fuel and other things, potentially, from what, the, from what we're seeing today and what's being predicted. But we've got low-cost operations. You know, we're one of the lowest-cost producers out there. And 
we we intend to stay that way. In terms of the future, there's a lot of um, reasons to be, uh, I think, very optimistic about where we're going at at B2 Gold. You know, we've got a good strong production profile when we look over the next five years from the existing mines that we have and beyond that. But we also have this, um, some really good upside potential in the area around Fakola. You know, we, we, we've uh, been doing some extensive drilling to the north, and that's why this Manicota license, which is the one we've been in discussions with the government trying to get an extension of that exploration license, and we believe we're going to get that. But there's another license uh, to the north of Manicota in this area we call Anaconda, generally Bentaco. We've had this, this is a, a license that we have, and we've had some very good results there, indicating the potential for a lot of additional mineralization from uh, 20 kilometers away from Fakola that we can truck down some of the weathered material, truck it down to the Fakola mill starting in the second half of next year uh, to increase production very cheaply. And we've also, so th there's a potential there to make another, we think, significant discovery that could be similar to Fakola in this area called Anaconda to the north. Ultimately, one day we might build an additional mill. In addition to a project right next to Fakola called Cardinal, we've got some very good drill results there and we're starting to have started mining that. So Fakola is just a wonderful project that originally we were going to produce 300,000 ounces a year. We're now producing 600,000 ounces a year, just produced for 2 million pounds of one of the most classical mines in the world. Uh, just a gift that keeps on giving. Tremendous potential uh, for much more from uh, Fukuoka. In addition to that, we have the Gramolati project in Columbia, which we're coming into a final feasibility study in the second quarter of next year. We've got some encouraging results there, um, and we've gone back to do more drilling and looking at our costs to see if we can improve the economics. It looked pretty, looked pretty good last time we did a study, but now we, we think there's improvements to be made there by cutting some of the capital costs and also by some additional drilling to divide the capital costs by some more ounces. So. That could potentially give us another 200,000 ounces a year from that project in Columbia with our joint venture partner, Anglo Gold Ashanti. It would be 200,000 our share. But I'm also very excited about our exploration. You know, one of the things that I think we're one of the best um, producers in the world, uh, one of the best in the world at finding gold. You know, I've always said, Andrew, that the cheapest ounces are the ones you find. And we've had a tremendous track record between BEMA and B2 Gold of finding gold as well as doing accretive acquisitions and then finding gold on top of that in these acquisitions. So we've got a pipeline of projects in places like Uzbekistan, Finland, and all this, what I talked about in Mali uh, and, and elsewhere. So we're, we're very excited about the $65 million exploration budget we have and finding more gold around our mines, but also looking for new discoveries. So in addition to M&A, we're looking, we're, we think we have the potential to, to find more world-class gold deposits in our exploration portfolio. Lots of stuff there, Clive, and I appreciate, you know, you guys are attacking on a lot of things. And you guys have played a lot of defense and will continue to play a lot of defense with regards to your costs. And that is a good component of what you guys are able to do is, is operational expertise, but also you guys are able to, to use the drill bit as well and move things forward. I want to talk about jurisdictions in a moment, but just coming back to the company broadly here, talk about where we are as far as capital structure here today. Um, if you can share maybe as of the last financial, the cash position, the debt position, and then also major holders of the equity. Yeah, in terms of um, equity holders, our biggest shareholders would be um, BlackRock, uh, Fidelity, Vanek, and some of the other funds that many people would recognize. So also a pretty strong retail component, you know, for we've been doing this for a very long time between Beam and Beach of Gold, and we've had a long history of retail, a lot of retail shows, which really appreciate that long-term support. And also, um, you know, in Europe, we, we did very well over the years in BEMA. And people haven't forgotten that, even though it was a while ago now, once we started Beach of Gold 13 years ago, a lot of people remember fondly the BEMA and the tremendous upside that people saw and the, the money they made off of BEMA. So 
you know, even though our shares were hit pretty hard this year, now they're recovering back, which is nice to see. If you bought our shares 10 years ago, I think you're up something like 1,300%. So obviously we've done a good job of that in the longer term. In terms of where we sit, we're in a very strong position financially. We're, um, you know, we're debt-free and we're able to pay a very significant dividend of yielding about 4% in the dividend. So that's a, a great reward to our shareholders. I, I'm a real believer in dividends and not a believer in share buybacks, never have been. I honestly believe if that's the best thing we can do with this hard-earned money, then maybe we should do something else. I'm not a fan of that at all. I think the dividends combined with using some of the cash that we have to grow the company, uh, I, I think are, are, is, is a really good strategy that our shareholders like a lot. So we're going to continue with that. In terms of cash, we're expecting to generate on $630 million in cash from operations this year, leaving us in a very strong position. Uh, we have a standby facility from our banks. $600 million is undrawn, and we can draw at any time. We're renegotiating that right now with very favorable terms, so we've got the ability to react whether it's to build a new mine or whether it's to use some cash and some shares in a, an acquisition. As I said, we're looking um, very, very carefully at what's out there in the world today that might add value to our shareholders. Um, so we're in just fantastic financial shape going forward, and I think it's great to be able to pay a dividend and still grow the company. You know, a lot of our shareholders um, bought our stock because they believed we could we could grow this company as we have from zero production to a million ounces over 12 years. Uh, and we want to continue to grow. But if you can pay a dividend like we're doing at the same time, I, I don't know if there's too many better investments out there. And it's nice to see gold companies paying dividends. I mean, if you said five or 10 years ago, we'd be paying these kind of dividends, I don't think you would have been taken very seriously in the gold space. It's about credibility. It's a business. We shouldn't be doing running this business just on the hope that gold goes higher. We should be able to be very profitable and grow the company based on whatever gold conditions we face, as we've always done. The only place I disagree, Clive, here is if your shares were really tremendously cheap uh, and you had nothing better to do at the time due to market conditions, I would certainly be a willing buyer of the stock if they were so cheap that it made so much sense to do so. But other than that, I fully agree. I think dividends are an important component here as well, and you guys have one of the best structures for that. How about the growth narrative? As you said, 10 years looking back, tremendous growth of the company thanks to you and your team. What is your view on future growth for the company in terms of the type of growth that you guys have experienced, you know, the last 10 years? And of course, in the mining business, it's a deplete and replace business. What do you think the production profile and growth is going to be in the future? Do you see that it's maybe slowing? Is it steady? Do you see it geared to increase by further developments and M&A? What's your thoughts on that looking forward? Yeah, well, I think there's, as I mentioned, we've got the Grand Malate project in the pipeline in Colombia, which where we'll see what the final feasibility study says, but we're we're pretty positive on that one becoming the next mine in terms of organically. But also when you look at the situation in Mali with this um, significant results we're getting right next to Fukola, this cardinal zone, which is open and that can that that's this mill just keeps on delivering with the ability to, to um, handle more material than we had imagined. So the ability to grow production from from Fukola. I mean, the Fakola area, the property area in the kilometers to the north, there's a real potential for additional, for making them additional discoveries there. So there's reasons to believe that Fakola will continue to grow potentially quite dramatically beyond the 600,000 ounces that we're producing right now. Um, but also, you know, when I look at exploration in the Philippines, for example, you know, we've been there for quite a long time, done a great job of that mine. I mean, when we acquired CJ Mining, who owned the, the Masbati Mine in the Philippines, an Australian company. They did a, you know, a good job building it. Um, we came in and thought we could make some changes to lower the cost, and we did that dramatically. But we've also had exploration success there year on year. And that's one of the keys in terms of our industry 
you know, when you start mining, you're, you know, it's a depleting asset unless you have a really good exploration team and unless you continue to find more gold, which we've done in every case, everywhere we are, including the Ojakoto mine in Namibia as well. So I see us growing the company. I, I, I'm never one to go out there and say we're going to be X million ounces by X year because I think you can put undue pressure on yourselves and end up doing some deal you might regret. So we don't do that, but we're just going to grow with opportunities we see. And I think exploration, we have some of the best exploration targets in this company today that our team led by Tom Garrigan has been working with me for 40 years, um, has seen for probably ever. Some of the potential we have around Fakola, some of the potential we're looking at in Uzbekistan and Finland and other places. We're very excited about our ability to grow through the drill. But I think that, and I think there's an important point to make here for your listeners is that what makes B2 Gold a little unusual or unique is that we were born of expiration twice, BEMA and B2 Gold. So we built these companies into million ounce producers and multi-billion dollar companies, uh, starting at exploration and learning how to become a respected builder of mines and operator of mines. But we've always had this entrepreneurial streak, which I guess comes in part from me, the willingness to go to Russia back in the day, Chile or Nicaragua or Mali. We've always been very entrepreneurial, yet we're very good at the bricks and mortars of our business, the mining, um, responsible mining, safe mining, environmental responsibility, all those things we're very good at, but we're still driven by being very entrepreneurial. You know, we're looking at Egypt right now, some of these other countries. So we've still got that spirit that I've had for 40 years in this industry of being a, a really good producer, but still having an entrepreneurial culture. I think that's one of the reasons we're so successful because we'll do deals that other companies may not do because they may be more conservative. So we're aggressive, but we're never reckless. And I think that's one of the reasons why this company has been one of the biggest success stories in the gold space in the last uh, 10 or 12 years and will continue to be. And on jurisdictions, Clive, you know, you've got some in the industry calling for a return to legacy nation jurisdictions like Canada, US, Australia, maybe some parts of Europe. Collectively, I like to call them red tape legacy destinations versus those developing frontier destinations that are geared towards green tape. Then you have the argument surrounding nations that have fiscal relations with the US and the dollar versus those that do not, the economic implications of that. What's your position on this thought process that these frontier and developing jurisdictions are not the place to be? Because uh, I think you would say, contrary to that, uh, there's been fantastic success in places like Mali and Namibia. What's your thoughts on this thinking? Sure. Well, that's clearly a good question. That's clearly a core part of our strategy. Sometimes it's to go where others fear to tread or others may be more conservative, as I mentioned. But the secret to managing political risk is really quite simple, and that's delivering on the promises that you make. You know, if you go to Chile back in the day, or Russia, or many other countries we've been to, and I've met with presidents of these countries and senior people, um, they, if you promise them that you're going to build a gold mine in three years and spend $500 million to build it, and you're going to train their people and create these jobs and do great environmental work and social programs, they believe you because you're a Western company. So if you don't deliver, which too many companies have done in the past, not deliver on the promises you make, you lose credibility with the governments and the people in the countries that you work. And once you lose that credibility, that's when you start having problems sometimes with governments raising taxes or other measures because they've, they've lost the trust in you. So I think that's a critical thing. Our, our company's based on, a, I think it's an extension of Canadian culture. I call it fairness, respect, and transparency. That's how we try and treat everyone around the world. That's why I think if we have problems sometimes, like in Mali, with a dispute of an expiration license, with working honestly and openly and transparently with the government, we'll resolve any issues that we come up with. 
So the understanding of political risk is understanding what have you done? Have you delivered on the promise you made? And if you deliver on the promises you make in life, not just in business, I think you make more friends and enemies. And I think that's really the key to our success, understanding cultures, respecting the cultures in the countries we're in, treating them with respect, fairness, and transparency, and delivering. That's the key, and we'll continue to do that. You know, you're not going to find too many, probably not going to find too many great new gold mines in Nevada. There might be a few. But these areas in Canada have been very well explored by very good people. So we've always been prepared to think outside the box. And, you know, by, I always said, Andrew, by definition, kind of bold initiatives by definition are done by the few, not the many. So we'll continue to do bold things that make sense and continue to deliver. And with that, Clive, how about places that you believe are ripe for mining and development, you know, welcoming nations, if you will? Where today would you be looking and where would B2 Gold go besides the places you're already at? I mean, we, we know that certainly in places like Namibia, Tier 1 Africa is, is fantastic. But what other places would you add under the B2 umbrella if the right opportunity came along? Maybe mention a few countries. Yeah, well, we've, we and others have been working with the government of Egypt who is signaling the fact that they want foreign investment in mining. So they've got tremendous gold potential, of course, in, in Egypt and uh, fairly for the most part, for quite unexplored. So countries like that, I think there's more opportunities um, in Asia as well. I think uh, you look at where Uzbekistan is the largest gold mine in the world is in Uzbekistan and they've not had a lot of Western exploration. We were invited by the government of Uzbekistan a couple of years ago, new sort of Western leading government to come in and be the first company to do joint ventures with the government of Uzbekistan. They chose us. And I think that's part of the credibility that our reputation around the world, um, because of everything we've done in Bima and Beach Gold, I think there's governments that recognize immediately that we're the kind of partner they want. We're the kind of company because of delivering on those promises. So yeah, we really are an international company and we're proud of that. Um, some people look at our map of the world sometimes and say, how can you possibly run all these mines in all these different countries? Well, the key is the people. The key is you can't run mines from Vancouver, so you need great people. But you also need an uh, executive team that has some, you know, many of those 40 years together. We've seen most of it. We've done most of it. And that experience and the people on the ground are the keys. Look at COVID. We came through COVID extremely well. And I think there's an opportunity here to go to governments around the world in countries that we're in and that we're not in to say, look at what we did during COVID for these countries we were in and the people. We're, we're, the gold mining industry is a good, is something good to have in your country, because it's responsible these days, and can meet and can you know deliver a lot in terms of jobs and taxes, etc. So, I think post COVID, there's a real positive story, and I'll be telling it to the world about how good gold mining, not just us, but how good contributor gold mining was during COVID. Those are good points on relation to uh, the two countries. Would a place like Angola interest you at all? We're pretty open-minded. We have been um, looking at some opportunities in places like Zimbabwe and other African countries. So for sure, we're definitely, uh, but we're, we're pretty open. We've tried, Andrew, for decades, we've tried to be driven more by geology than geography, um, meaning that we're open to going, we're not gonna go to really dangerous countries. Of course, uh, safety is, a, is paramount, but we have to satisfy ourselves we can work safely in these countries with our people. But at the end of the day, we try and be driven by where are the places in the world, like Uzbekistan, for example, that has the largest gold mine in the world, yet is really quite underexplored? True. I've heard some good positive things coming out of there and the government's pro-mining, pro-development uh, stance here. 
in Namibia, you've got a, a JV earn in amongst operations, of course, that have been fantastic, but you've got a JV earn in at, on Dundu with Forces Metals. Does B2 Gold intend on completing that earn in? And let me couple that, Clive, with what types of deposits and potential production profile characteristics suit B2 Gold in Namibia at this point? You guys are a bigger company today. But what would you need to consider looking at a project in a place like Namibia for development purposes and something that actually fits the company's size requirements? Right. That's a great question. Um, yeah, as you grow, you're obviously looking to build some bigger mines. At the end of the day, we did a, a, a very intelligent deal over the Nicaraguan assets with Caliber, where we still have a major stake in them, and they've done a really good job. And we just recently announced a deal, actually yesterday, in Burkina Faso, to allow West Africa mining to go forward with the Kiaka project because um, they they see a, a mine they can build there. They've got some synergies there. So those are some of the decisions that you make along the way. I think for a new country and a new opportunity, we'd probably be looking at something around two to 250,000 ounces a year of potential production or production. Um, you know, with a, you know, everyone always talks about wanting at least a 10-year mine life. But I think if you're in the country and you're already there, like Namibia, then you don't have those hard and fast rules. So if you could add something in Namibia that made sense and add another 100 or 150 or 200,000 ounces a year, that's something you would look at if you're already in the country, I would say. So you know, that's part of our criteria and how we, how we look at things. And how about that JV earned, Clyde? What's your thought on that particular project there? Do you see that that's something you guys will continue to do with forces? We're doing a technical evaluation of it right now. We're looking at the drill, the drilling that we've done. And really we're trying to decide, frankly, if that's, a, if that's a project that meets our criteria in terms of the size and the potential. So I think over the next three months or so, we're gonna have an indication of where that goes. And you know, there's assuming an opportunity there for, for, for B2 Gold or, or perhaps if we decided to do another deal, allowing someone else to run, run with it. But it's too early to say right now that we're evaluating it right now. But we like it, we like the project. ESG matters, Clive. This remains to be a uh, hot topic of which uh, it was CSR when you and I last spoke on this program. But talk about the company's ESG efforts and what tweaks maybe that you've made or see as more important today against prior reiterations of really just good practices and policy related to community and mineral development. Yeah, I think part of our, when I talk about delivering on the promises we make, a big part of that is um, ESG and CSR, you know, We've been doing some really great things in the communities in which we work for decades. We did, we did, didn't back in the day, not because it was required by institutions or bankers. We did it because it was the right thing to do. Once again, we're taking this culture on the road. So we, we've been doing things in Russia and Chile a um, long time ago now that were cutting edge back then uh, in terms of the various programs we do in terms of education, agriculture, all sorts of different ways we can leave the community better than when we arrived there. So we've got some real, really exciting stuff on our responsible mining report that we're very proud of. And some of the things we do, education and agriculture I mentioned, are two very big parts of what we do. We've got some really interesting initiatives, we think outside the box in this area as well. You probably heard about our rhino gold bars for Namibia, where we took a thousand ounces of gold from the Ojakoto mine and donated it to the Save the Rhino Trust and made collector's items, one ounce gold bars, and sold them around the world through Kitco actually to raise $1.7 million US to help save the black rhino, which the only place in the world that it roams wild is in northern Namibia. And that really helps the communities in that area as well. 
So there's things like that. There's helping rebuild the coral reefs in the Philippines that weren't damaged by us, but damaged by fishing and bad mining practices from others. So um, revitalizing the mango groves, uh, regrowing the coral reefs, doing local markets is on and on. I could go on for this for an hour just on the stuff we're doing. And ESG solar is a big part. We were the first mining company to go solar with a plant in Namibia. And now we have a, a very large you know, solar HFO plant in Mali, and we'll continue on that. So yeah, we're very much um, committed to showing people that mining can be good, very good for the communities. And uh, we have an old expression that we used to say, this is not your grandfather's mining company. This is way more responsible. I'm so glad to see so many other companies um, doing the right thing. Um, some are doing it because they have to, frankly, and some are doing it because it's the right thing to do. But either way, it's good to see the industry reacting so much more responsibly. We've still got a long way to go to convince people including the younger generation, that mining is not a bad thing. Done responsibly, it could be a great economic driver. And, and we need, you know, until we're, if we're, unless we're going to go back to live in caves again, we're going to need, we need metals. So, so key is doing it responsibly and making sure that everybody wins. I agree with that. Uh, lots of things we can talk about there, but I think, you know, today you guys have set a model out for people who are just coming up with some of these ideas that you guys came up with decades ago. By the way, I'd love to see that Black Rhino program get renewed, and I'd love to get my hands on uh, one of those rhino bars as well, but, you know, keep that going. And then the conversation surrounding energy is another thing you and I could talk about a lot, and also, you know, clean water and good medical facilities and so forth in some of these developing regions. Clive, you know, you're a director over at uh, Base and Precious Metals Junior B-Metals. Uh, any comments mm -hmm. on B-Metals at this point, and of course, the progress over the, the past couple of years there? Sure. Yeah, the B Metals is a company that B2 Gold is the, the largest shareholder of. And the idea there was just uh, we'll never be conflicted in the sense that, you know, I've really been primarily involved in two companies in my life, and that was BEMA for 30 years and now <laughs> B2 for 12 years plus. Um, so we're very focused on what we do. But, but we've been approached with many opportunities around the world and other metals uh, in addition to gold. And we've always said, well, no, no, we're a gold miner. So we just thought we'd put together, uh, we have a very good management team at B-Metals. We thought some of us would put up some of our, our own money and uh, see if we could be successful not only in base metals, but also some gold projects that aren't the size uh, for B2 Gold. So that's what we formed B-Metals, and um, I'm a large shareholder uh, and happy to be there. We've got some really good projects. We're drilling in Japan, which is quite exciting, and some other opportunities in base metals in uh, Zambia and an interesting project in Idaho. So it's a company that uh, B2 Gold, there's no conflict because B2 Gold is the biggest shareholder. So if the B2 Gold team is looking at acquisitions, which we do every single day, and if there's acquisitions that are not of the criteria to, for B2 Gold, then clearly it's in the B2 Gold shareholder's interest to let B Metals have a look at those opportunities, whether they be gold or other metals. B2 is going to stay a gold company primarily, but B Metals has the opportunity to all across the spectrum. So, you know, we don't promote things ahead. We don't, I've never been a promoter in the sense of promoting your stock and then hoping you find something of value. <laughs> I follow that. It's the other way around. It should be the other way around. You find something of value and then you go tell people about it. So B Metals is uh, trading, I think, somewhere around 26 cents, whatever. Very, very low entry point for people. I'm a big shareholder. I'll be buying more. And I think it's going to be the potential to do what we've done with B and B2 Gold, build another. Uh, significant, uh, profitable gold and base metals mining company. 
Simple enough. I appreciate that. Well, Clive, wrapping up here, you've been in the business for a long time and you've been one of the more successful company builders and models uh, for others. Any wisdom that you can share with maybe other CEOs who might be listening in, institutions, investors, et cetera, that are also listening in? What wisdom do you offer for investors who are allocating capital to this sector? And maybe some advice for a CEO that might be younger trying to get to where you are. Yeah, I think for young CEOs, I think it's. Um... You have to find very good technical people and you have to respect them and earn their trust. You know, it has to be a two-way street. You, they have to trust you that you're not going to go out there and promise things like expiration results and stuff that they may not be able to deliver. So you have to have a great technical team. There's, there's no such thing as a renaissance man in the gold mining industry. So you really have to have great technical people. I'm so fortunate to have guys that have been around for so long, growing together, working together. So that's the first thing. From an investor point of view, I think it's about track record. Two things, you know, what have they done before? Have they been successful? Manager team you're looking at, have they been successful? And I think another thing that's really important is skin in the game. You know, we founded BMA and we founded B2 Gold. So we are very much aligned with our shareholders at a time when compensation and other things are often criticized because people look at companies that don't have, the principals don't have a lot of shares. We're on the same page as our shareholders. So I would look for companies that have a track record of success that you can figure out if the people are honest and well-intentioned and are they working for all the shareholders and i think it's better if they're shareholders as well hopefully significant shareholders in the company so those are two things experience and skin in the game are things i look for when i'm looking at investments and for potential investors who are on the sidelines listening in here market cap of b2 gold stands at about six billion canadian here what would you say to them about considering the b2 gold vehicle and the proposition at these current price levels well, what I like to say to generalist funds for people that aren't necessarily completely enamored with gold and that gold has to go higher, I would say you buy is because of um, that we're so good at running our business and so profitable and the dividend undervalued versus our peers clearly today, but also our ability to keep growing the company. We're very good at what we do. Um, you don't need to buy us because you think gold's going higher. If gold goes higher, that's just a bonus with B2 gold shares. I think we're going to continue to grow the company and the market will reflect that and we'll get back to the levels we were at a little over a year ago. As we continue on this journey, we're clearly undervalued versus the sector. I expect some good news soon out of Mali, resolving the situation we've had there, which is an expiration issue. It's not about production, but we'll show that the government of Mali is continuing to respect the laws of the country, which they've done for decades. It's been a good place to be in gold mining. So, so I would suggest that uh, Beecher Gold is a great buy, whether you believe gold is going higher or not. Looking forward to seeing some of those things get done, and also Mali, the relationship continuing between the company and the government. And the best way for investors to reach out to the company? We have a very good website or contact uh, Ian McLean, I McLean, M A C L E N, at beachofgold.com. Clive, always a pleasure, sir. Best of luck with operations and growth in the coming year. And uh, it's, it's always good to chat, and let's do it again sometime. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Great questions. I enjoyed the chat.